Well, welcome everyone to Discipleship uh, 301. It's been such an amazing journey so far, learning about how to lead like Jesus. And that is no small task. It is something that we're called to. It's something that uh, we have been ordained to. And um, I'm just so privileged that we get to learn uh, about leadership from the perspective of Jesus. So um, as always, make sure you have something to write with. Uh, make sure you have your Bible in front of you. And we're just going to go right into today's lecture. So just to give you some some notes beforehand today, we're talking about the being habits. The next time we meet, we're going to be talking about the doing habits. But how many of us know you can't do before you be? <laughs> So we got to learn what it means uh, to become a leader in our habits. So even though today's teaching is going to be practical, it is going to be biblical. And we're going to understand uh, a lot of these concepts here today. So um, let's just jump right into uh, today's lecture. So the being habits, I want to first read from First uh, Peter uh chapter 1 verse 8 to 9 you could turn you can turn there if you want first peter chapter 1 verse 8 to 9 and it says this though you have not seen him you love him though you do not see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls so the big question that we normally hear from our peers or those that are connected to us through relationships is surrounded around the very idea of this what does it take to be successful? Because each and every one, we have our own biases about what success should actually look like, right? Uh, if you fit a certain lifestyle, if you drive a certain car, if you're wearing the latest fad, uh, or whatever the case is, you dress a particular way, that now becomes our true definition of success in our own eyes. But as we learned from our lectures before, exalting God only, exalting God only pulls us in another direction of success. Okay. And we notice that Jesus, during his earthly ministry, Jesus experienced the pressure and the temptation of straying from the path of the father that was set out before him. But guess what? Jesus stayed on track, amen. He stayed on track and Jesus stayed on the mission. So today, what we're going to learn about, we're gonna learn about five key being habits. These are five key being habits that we will discuss that Jesus utilized to counter the situations when he was being tempted, counter the situations that he felt the pressures of life, 
Now, people say, well, he was the son of God. Um, he could have got out of any situation because of his divinity. But the reality is he was both fully God and both fully man. The Bible says that he was tempted in every single way. So these are the habits. These are the habits that Jesus did in order to fulfill the commission of the father in order to continue on to be on mission. And I'm just going to say them really quickly and then we're going to go through them. But it's the first one is accepting and abiding in God's unconditional love. The second is experiencing solitude. The third is practicing prayer. The fourth is knowing and applying scripture. And then the fifth is maintaining supportive relationships. So we are going to go on a journey here tonight. So get ready, buckle your seatbelts. We're going right in. At the end of this, my, go my, my goal is that we learn these habits like never before. So that when we're tempted, when we're tried, when we're feeling the pressures of life, we resort to these being habits. And we're going to be able to say that at the end that we made it because of who we are in Christ and not just what we do. So I want you to look at these five things and maybe if you, on your paper, you could put at the center, I want you to write at the center, um, accepting and abiding in God's unconditional love because that's at the center of all these habits. Okay. So we're going to learn that that's going to be the most important. And then out of the unconditional love of God in the center, that's where now you, if you want, you could put it kind of like, uh, like corners, like one, two, three, four, experiencing solitude, practicing prayer, knowing and applying scripture, maintaining and supportive relationships. But at the center, is accepting and abiding in God's unconditional love. So why are these habits even essential? Why do we even need these habits? Because practicing these habits provide us with peace. Practicing these habits, they provide us with peace. And peace is an attractive trait in the leader. And what this peace does is that it overcomes the chaos that is brought about by life. How many times Jesus had to speak peace into a situation, right? So peace has to be the attractive trait in the life of a leader, because in that peace, it overcomes the chaos that life brings us. Amen. And one of the things I want to say is that your character is essentially the sum of your habits. Let me repeat that again. Your character is essentially the sum of your habits. What do I mean by that? Add up all your habits and there is going to flow your character. Add up all your habits, and there, that is what people are going to see. That's going to be the external part of who you are. So developing a character like Jesus, what we must first do, everybody, is begin to look at our own habits. 
the habits that we developed and how they actually line up to leading like Jesus. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. So I want you guys to do this. As we are going to each of these habits, I want you to recognize and say to yourself, be vulnerable and honest with yourself and say, I'm lacking in this habit. I'm lacking in this area. Maybe those are listening to the podcast right now, maybe you're driving in your car. I want you to do that same very thing. These, this is an area that I've been struggling with. And we're going to go through each and every one of these. So the first one at the center is the habit of accepting and abiding in God's unconditional love. You can write the scripture down. First John 4, 16. First John 4, 16. And it says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Say that with me, everybody. God is love. And whoever abides in love, guess what? Abides in God and God abides in him. So the God of the universe desires to seek a love relationship with his creation, right? But that may be difficult to comprehend. That may be so, how can this God of the universe love me so much despite of my sin, right? Because we know ourselves all too well. Why? Because we are full of pride. We are selfish, right? Uh, we cause harm. We, we, we hurt others uh, intentionally and unintentionally. We know ourselves. So why would this God love us unconditionally? I want to read for you, and you could turn to this if you want, but um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. Okay. If this is your first time uh, here or listening to this course, uh, we go through a lot of scripture. That's my textbook. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so, I fit the best way to teach a discipleship course is scripture. No fluff. Um, so verse 17, let me just read this to you. Uh, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Look at that. It's you. You are being rooted. You're being grounded in love. Verse 18, may have strength to comprehend all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This is a promise that we have. This is a promise that our, that our relationship with Christ is built on the foundation of love. And when we look at this particular habit, it isn't based on the number of times you attend church. This habit is not based on the number of times that you pray. Oh, let me be a little bit more scandalous. This habit is not based on how much you tithe. Uh-oh. <laughs> or how many business deals you have a week or whatever the case is. It's not about your success because God's love is a gift. Right? But it requires 
the foundational belief that his love for you is possible. Woo. His love for you is possible. It's unconditional. And some of us, we don't believe that this type of love actually exists outside of our successes. Because we've placed our successes above the love of God. And we've put a litmus test and a measurement to say that because I have X amount of things or because maybe your success is based on an external relationship. Maybe it's a boyfriend, maybe it's a girlfriend, right? And you look at that. If my relationship with my boyfriend or my, or my girlfriend is thriving, or even a marriage is thriving, but yet you lack the love of God in that relationship, right? What does Paul say? You're just making noise. That's all you're doing. So love draws us into relationships. And God's love is without condition. Amen? God's love is without condition. I want to ask you, ask you a question, and you, you can raise your hand for this. How many of you uh, have kids? Okay, I got a few hands up. Okay. How many of you love your kids? Sometimes there, there are some times where you just, you know, you want to smack up, smack them up, you know, upside the head. Now, here's another question. How many of you love your kids only if they're successful? Raise your hands. No. <laughs> right? You still love your kids despite even if they fail. You still love your kids despite even if they do the, right, the, the, the wrong thing. Right? You see, but uh, there are some human relationships that have taught us only about conditional love. There are some human relationships that we have that have only taught us about conditional love. And what that conditional love has done is it's left us broken and it's left us wounded. You put conditions on love. You could only love me at this, this level, or you could only love me if you do this. Or you could only love me if you say the right things. Or you could only love me if you look like this. We've put conditions on our love when we have no right to do so in the first place. Because what we've done is we've limited an unlimited God. So once you believe that you are completely and unconditionally loved by God, you won't be misled by earthly things. Once you understand that concept, that you are completely and unconditionally loved by God, you're not going to be misled by the world that attempts to offer you a, sense, a false sense of love or a false sense of peace or a false sense of security or a false sense of safety. It's accepting and abiding in God's love. 
And let me just tell you something right from the back. It's not a one-time decision. You just don't love God one time and that's it, right? It's a habit to be practiced. Loving God, you say, how, how, how do I do that? How, how, how do I love God unconditionally? It's a habit to be practiced. You need to anchor your understanding in the fact first that God loves you even when you're unsuccessful. That's the first step to do it. And some of you right now, you've put so much limitations on your love and you put so much conditions on your love that even right now, you're even saying to yourself, how can a loving God love my mess? How can a loving God love me with all my faults, all my sins, all my struggles? The reason why we celebrated this past weekend, the resurrection of who he is, dying on the cross for us. This love changes you and it changes your leadership. But some of us, we have to first accept that fact that we can be loved regardless, but we need to accept it and then what we need to do is we need to abide in it. Okay, that's the first one. Here's the second, the habit of experiencing solitude. The habit of experiencing solitude. I want to read from Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And it says this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So when we're looking particularly at this habit, of all the habits here, uh, solitude is the most elusive habit especially in today's modern world, because why? The busyness of technology, uh, this need for 24-7 communication. First thing we do in the morning is what? What's the first thing we do in the morning? We grab our cell phones to check all of our notifications. Make sure that we got everyone to like our photo on Instagram. Let's see uh, if we got any, any comments on Facebook. It's this constant need for communication. And what solitude does, is solitude is a challenging behavior because what it is is it's countercultural. It's countercultural to how we function in a modernized world. But solitude is designed to help us escape from doing to being. Okay? Solitude is designed to help us escape from the doing to the being, right? Uh, you could just write this down, but Psalms 46.10, it says, cease striving. Some of you right now need to cease striving because you're striving too hard to accomplish a goal that God has not even commissioned you to be on. I know that might sound harsh, but sometimes we follow visions and dreams that are not part of God's roadmap for your life. And sometimes you gotta just stop the striving. We lose focus in striving, but we gain clarity in silence. 
Oh, I know that freed somebody right now. <laughs> we lose focus in striving. Why do we lose focus on striving? Because our direct attention is straight ahead. We don't care about what happens to the left or right of us. We're striving, we're exhorting all of our energy. We're doing everything possible to make sure that we reach the end game. So we don't care about anything else. When you're striving, you're selfish. But we gain clarity in the silence. That's a powerful statement right there. We gain clarity in the silence. Some of us, we can't even shut up. <laughs> we talk too much. I can imagine some of y'all prayer life, and we haven't even gotten to prayer yet, where you do all the talking and there's no time for silence and there's no time for solitude. Well, I'm about to check you right now because we're gonna look at Jesus in a moment. So, welcome to Discipleship 301. Uh, the definite, let me give you a, a working a definition of solitude. Okay. Uh, solitude is being completely alone with God. Solitude is being completely alone with God away from human contact for an extended period of time. Simple definition of solitude. Solitude is being completely alone with God away from human contact for an extended period of time. Husbands, you can't use this as a defense to not see your wife. <laughs> you can't, <laughs> I've tried, it doesn't work. I'm, I'm, I can say, well, you know, babe, I'm, I'm in my prayer closet, I can't, God wants me here for three hours, I gotta be alone. Doesn't work, tried. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, what's, what solitude is, it's, it's being refreshed and, and restored by the natural rhythms of life that God has established. So solitude, it's listening to the still small voice, right? First Kings 19, 12. So let me, I'm going to rapid fire some examples uh, here. You could just write down the scriptures uh, if you want, but Jesus models solitude in his leadership, okay? And there's a few instances that we see there. So um, when in Matthew four, uh, we see uh, when he was preparing to test uh, the leadership and public ministry, Jesus spends what, 40 days alone in the desert. In Luke chapter 6, 12 to 13, uh, before Jesus chose his 12 apostles from among his followers, he actually spent the entire night alone in the desert hills. In Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus received the news of the death of John the Baptist, we actually see that Jesus withdrew into a boat to a solitary place. And then again, Matthew 14, 23, after the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, Jesus went up to the hills by himself. So Jesus exercised solitude constantly. So when we spend time alone with God, it enables us to make the difficult choices in leadership. And that's where I want to convey that to you. All these being habits help us to make the difficult choices in leadership. 
So in in Mark chapter one, we actually also th this is how this is how important solitude is because in Mark chapter one, we actually see Jesus resisting doing good works. Jesus resisted doing good works just to stay focused on the mission to spend time with the Father. That's how important solitude was for him. Now, I want to do a real, real quick exercise for you. So if you're still writing stuff down, uh, write this down. I want you to write it verbatim. It's a, it's a few words here, but in Psalms 46.10, some of you may know it. It says, I want you to write the actual uh, scripture down. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So write down that entire scripture. Now below it, I want you to write down, be still and know. Below that, I want you to write, be still. And then below that, guess what I want you to write? Be. Be. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Isn't that powerful? That is such a powerful declaration of who God is. To be still and know that he is God. But guess where it starts? It starts inside of you first. Because you just don't get to that level of stillness. You don't get to that level of stillness. You have to become still before God. You have to be still. Then you have to be still and know. And then you have to be still and know that he is God in your life. Even in the chaos. The next habit I want to talk about is the habit of practicing prayer. Okay. And I'm going to read for you Luke chapter 11, verse 1. You guys still with me? You all right? I know your hand, your, does your hand hurt yet? <laughs> Stephanie, you should be used to this. Uh, so the habit of practicing prayer, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it says this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So when we're talking about prayer specifically, prayer is the habit that requires the most unlearning. Prayer is the habit that requires the most unlearning because of the old patterns that we have been used to in prayer, right? These old patterns that we've placed on it and how we've done it prior. So I want to break that off of you here tonight and those that are listening. You probably say, well, I've been praying like this my entire life. Uh, you know, Jesus had different forms of prayer. And we're going to see some of that now. The only request that's actually recorded in scripture is to teach us to pray. Okay. The disciples, what they did was they saw the power of how Jesus prayed, right? When Jesus prayed, people were healed. 
people were set free, demons were cast out, and they wanted that same result. But let me just say this right from the get. Prayer is not a technique, but a conversation that we have with God. Some of us, we're treating prayer like a technique. Well, if I just say the right things in the right form, if I just speak in tongues when I pray, hello, then my prayer has been elevated. My prayer is more holy, right? If, I, if I'm just prophetic in my prayer, that means my prayer has reached to the throne room of God. And we care more about the technique and the syllables that come out of our mouth and how we pray in such a way where we're saying big theological words to God, like if he cares. And we care more about that than the conversation. So it's essential, and it's an, it's an essential act of the will that demonstrates whether we are serious about living and leading like Jesus. Okay? I, I, want, I want to say this, um, that without prayer, without prayer, our plans are disconnected from God's plans. Without prayer, our, our plans are disconnected from God's plan. So let's look at Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 26, you can turn to it if you want. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 39. But this prayer is recorded during the night of his betrayal. And there's some leadership, there's four leadership aspects that we learn in this prayer. So if you want to turn to it, you can, uh, but I'm going to read it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 39. Okay. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. It's okay in your prayer time to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as your, your will. So there are four things here that we can learn. Okay, the first one is where did Jesus pray and why? Where did Jesus pray and why? So we notice here in this biblical narrative that he went off by himself for prayer. He went alone with God, right? Where now Jesus can fully pour out his heart to the Father. Prayer can be done alone. We see that our Heavenly Father understands the broken language of signs and groans here. Isn't that such a powerful declaration? That our Heavenly Father understands the broken language. Even when we don't know what to say, 
even where we don't have the words to articulate what's going on. It doesn't matter because our Father understands our brokenness. Our Father understands our broken language. He understands our sighs and sorrowful. But sometimes, just as Jesus did here, he pressed on further. And some of us, we're not pressing on enough. And some of us, we're praying these grandiose prayers in front of people when God is just saying, just get alone with me. So here's the second one. What was Jesus' posture in prayer? What was his posture? Well, Jesus fell on his face before the Father. So when Jesus fell on his face, this actually indicates his agony. This indicates his extreme sorrow. This indicates his humility, right? But also, we also see at other times, Jesus prayed kneeling, or he looked up to the heavens with his eyes open. So the posture of your heart, now listen to me real clearly. The posture of your heart is more important than the posture of your body. The posture of your heart is more important than the posture of the body, right? But as we prostrate our physical selves before God, what that does is that it helps in our heart posture. Here's the third one. What did Jesus ask in prayer? What did Jesus ask? Well, we know in verse 39, Jesus asked, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, right? So what was he asking? He was asking if he could avoid the suffering of the cross. But notice that the way that Jesus actually says this, because this is, sometimes we miss this here. Jesus couched his request. He said, if it is possible. So by doing that, he left the decision to the Father when he said, yet not as I will, but as you will. So although Jesus was, uh, he was aware of the bitter suffering that he was about to uh, undergo, that he was about to take on, what he did was that he freely subjugated his desire to the Father. So we must learn to base our own willingness upon the Father's will. We must learn to base our own will, not my will, but yours be done. I'm praying for a breakthrough, but guess what? Sometimes a breakthrough doesn't happen when you want it. Sometimes the breakthrough has to happen on God's timing. Because if God gave some of us early breakthroughs, we would misappropriate it. If some of us, we don't even deserve, number one, we don't even deserve the breakthrough because of our sinful condition. I know that may sound scandalous, but that's the reality. God gives us the breakthrough, not when we want it, but when his will gives it to us. Because sometimes, and a lot of us, we're walking with premature blessings. 
Some of us are walking with premature blessings. Some of us, some of us are walking with premature breakthroughs. We're fabricating our own breakthrough. Oh yeah, I made it. I've arrived. I've made it. I'm on top of the hill. But our hearts are full of pride and our hearts are full of sorrow. Why? Because we don't understand the suffering of the cross. Because we don't want to take up our own. When you understand the suffering of the cross and you make it your own, guess what? The, when the blessing comes, you're going to know it's there. That's what Job had to go through. Job, that's what Paul, the thorn on his side, that's what he had to go through. I've asked that question for years and years, and I contemplate, God, why, why did I lose my mother at such an early age? Why, why did my father leave me at the age of four? Why was I abandoned and I had no parents growing up? Why? Because it made me the man of God that I am today. It gave me strength and it gave me endurance, but I couldn't see it for decades. I could not see it until I submitted my will and I had my own Garden of Gethsemane experience where I had to just literally cry and posture my heart and kill my pride and say, I understand the suffering of the cross because he took it for me. That was the only way that I can now say, okay, God, now, now I, I understand this. And that's what number, number four, that's what we talk about here. What, what was the answer to Jesus's prayer? God's answer was that his will, it was going to be the father will, his father will that would be done, right? So God answered Jesus's prayer, right? Because we, we see it there. He answered Jesus' prayer at the end when an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. But he was in the wilderness. So I want to give you really quickly the act. This is called, and maybe you've, you've heard of this before, but this is the, the ACTS method of prayer, A-C-T-S. You could put it as an acronym. Maybe some of you have heard of this before. Uh, it's acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We're going to talk really, really quickly about this. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, right? So A for adoration, and you can just write the scripture verse down, and I would like you to go back to these uh, at your own time, but First Chronicles 29.11, uh, adoration is telling the Lord, right, that you love him that you appreciate him for, for who he is. I'm adoring you, God. I'm, I'm giving you the adoration. C is confession, right? First John 1, 9. It's recognizing our sins and responding with open confession. The T is thanksgiving. That's uh, f uh, Ephesians 5, 19 to 20. Thanksgiving is our uh, our heartfelt conf uh, expression of gratitude to God for all that he's done. And then S is the supplication, right? See, so somebody already, already put it in there, so you already know. Is This is the part that we actually start, but we never get past, right? Because supplication is asking God what we need, Matthew 7, 7. 
So that's prayer. I want to go into the habit of knowing and applying scripture. Okay, this is the habit of knowing and applying scripture. And this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So through scripture, we come to know God. In scripture, you discover that God loves you. Okay? Scripture is not just uh, an instruction manual. Sometimes what we've done with God's word is we've treated it like an instruction manual for doing life. And that is completely not what it is. It is, it should be breathed into our very souls. And it is the very life that we conduct ourselves according to every good work. So let me give you five, I want to give you five practical ways to cultivate the habit of knowing and applying scripture. Okay, you guys are ready? The five practical ways to cultivate the habit of knowing and applying scripture. Here's the first one. Hear the word. You got to hear the word. Okay? And you got to hear it from someone else. Not just you. Hear it from some, someone else. Right? In our case, it'll be our lead pastor. Right? Mark chapter 4, verse 23 says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Because hearing with our ears, guess what, everybody? It leads to hearing with our hearts. <laughs> hearing with our ears leads to hearing with our hearts. So how do you do this? There are many ways you could do this. You could use a Bible app. There's a audio book, social media. There's a lot of ways that you uh, can hear the word of God. But here's a, here's a powerful understanding of, of this because um, the parable of the sower um, that's found in Matthew chapter 13, and you can read that on your own, the parable of, of the sower, but it lists four kinds of hearers of the word there. Okay? There's the, uh, in verse 19 of that scripture, there's what's called the apathetic hearer. <laughs> they hears the word, but does not understand it. Okay? The apathetic hearer. Then there's the superficial hearer in verse 20 and 21, where they receive the word, right? Temporarily, but it does not take root in the heart. I know I'm hitting home with some people right here, right now. You're probably going to fit into one of these four categories. Then there's the preoccupied hearer. We have a lot of those in church. 
the preoccupied hearer. They, in verse 22, they received the word, but they let the worries of this world and the desires for other things choke it out. And then in verse 23, there's the reproduction hearer. They receive the word, they understand it, and they bear fruit. Our goal in hearing the word is to be that uh, reproducing uh, hearer. So the question that I want to pose to you all is what kind of hearer are you? Do you hear the word, but you don't understand it? Do you hear the word temporarily? Like it, it, it gives you a spiritual goosebump <laughs> when you hear the word, right? But it doesn't take root in your heart. It's just an emotional roller coaster that sometimes we feel when we open the scriptures and we read it or we hear it from somebody else. Wow, that was really good. Man, man, that felt good. But that's all. It just goes in one ear and out the other. It doesn't give root into our heart. Or the preoccupied hearer, right? They hear the word, but they allow the worries to overburden them. And the desires of this world, it chokes out that very word. Or are we someone that we hear the word, we understand it, we, we, we submit to it. We understand that it's unconditional and it bears fruit in our lives. So those are the, the four ways you hear the word. The next one, guess what, is to read the word. No surprise there. That's number two. Read the word. Revelation chapter one, verse three, it says, blessed is the one who reads out loud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So you have to allow time for reflection and in reading. You have to read the word and what you have to do too is you should balance your reading. Either use a Bible plan, right? Go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now I'm going to show you um, some things here that I have. Uh, this right in front of me, this is one of the things that I use. This is a reader's edition, a one year. There's literally maybe like six of these books. Um, and what this is, it, it looks just like a book. It looks just like a book and, but it's the Bible and it, and it goes through the entire year. And what I've done is I've outlined, you know, how many, how much I read, uh, as far as that goes. Um, now you could read any way you want. That's just particularly uh, how I read the word. Uh, and then I'll also read like a Psalms. I, I'll normally read two Psalms. I try to read the Psalms multiple times a year. Uh, so I would actually read maybe two to three Psalms, uh, depending on, on how long it is. So, but the, but the main crux is to get into the word, make it systematic, make it, uh, dedicate yourself to reading it. 
right? There are many Bible plans out there that they break it up nicely. It's not just going from Genesis to Revelation, and then when you hit Leviticus, you fall asleep. <laughs> Trust me, even, even I'm like, oh, man, Lord, help me with this Leviticus, man. Sometimes Leviticus has stopped me from time in and time out. But there are, there are Bible plans that breaks it up historically, chronologically. Uh, if you need help, please let me know. But um, also apply what you are reading daily. It's not just enough to read it. You got to read it daily, right? Every time you fail, and I want to say this out loud, every time you fail to apply it, you end up leaving the word like a scattered seed besides the road. Here's the third one. Study the word. You hear it, you read it, and now you study the word. So this means learning more about its meaning, learning more than what you're just reading here. It's applying it, right? Uh, Acts 17, 11 references the Bereans. Um, you know, these were the Jews. They were more, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Don't just take Pastor Eddie's word for it. Don't just take Pastor Mike's word for it. Read it, study it for yourself. It's, this is the type of study that you're, you're learning more than a simple overview of scripture, right? It's not devotional reading. Let me show you what, what devotional reading is. This is another thing that I do. So this is, um, this is like a, it's like a 30 day devotional style where it goes through everything that we've been talking about. It's a liturgical kind of a reading. So this is not going to be for, for everybody. Uh, but what it has, it has everything that we talked about. There's a section. So you read it by days. It's 30 days. It goes through adoration. It goes through confession. It goes through thanksgiving, right? And there's um, different quotes and there's different things. Uh, it kind of puts everything into perspective. Um, there, then there's a portion where you're actually praying. And you're praying specifically. Now, I'm going to show you something that I don't show anybody. You guys ready? You're getting into the, my secret. This, this is this is secretly what I do. So I do this. This is the very first thing I do, right? I make sure I'm doing my one-year Bible. Then I go into this. This is my liturgical reading, right? This is me going through adoration, my confession. This is me going through my thanksgiving. Then when I go into my supplication, right? When I'm asking and when I'm praying, this is where I bring out my Bible. Now, this Bible is, may not be as intimidating uh, as, <laughs> as other Bibles because um, it is small. This is a everyday carry. There are different kinds of Bibles. This is my everyday carry. I'm going to give you guys a sneak peek into what I have in my Bible. Is that okay? Don't tell nobody. <laughs> Be like, ooh, I know what Pastor Eddie has, has in, in his Bible. Um, and then I'm going to show you one more thing that I do. So... Uh, what I have here, I, I told you guys this was going to be a, a practical one, but I want to get you into the mind of, of where, now, th listen, this is the way I do it. You don't all have to do it like this. Please don't. But uh, <laughs> this is how I do it. So, you know, I have these tabs ready to go, right, at the ready. 
Um, I actually have, <laughs> I have a, a confessional here, a creed. Uh, I don't read this all the time because it's actually in that book that I just showed you. Then if you notice this right here, do you guys see this? I don't know if you see, you see it? Okay. This is my prayer chart. I actually use this prayer chart and I pray every day, every single month, specifically for different things. So if you notice on the top, there's personal, then there's family, then there's church, and then it's the world. And every single day from Monday all the way to Sunday, I have specific prayer points that goes according to the Our Father's prayer on the top. Okay? I do that every single day. Now, you don't have to do it like that. That's the way I do it because I want to, first of all, I want to make sure I'm praying for you. I'm not one of those people, or you probably know some Christians that say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Don't worry about it. I got you covered, brother. Yeah, and then the prayer never happens. <laughs> well, I make sure that I'm praying for each and every one. But it's not just about me personally. I'm praying for the family, for my family. Then I'm praying uh, for the church and for the leadership. And then I'm praying for the world. So I have that. Uh, then I have this right here. This is like you should mark your Bibles. You guys got to make sure you mark your Bibles. This is my This is my specific Bible marking key. Uh, different colors mean different things, obviously. Uh, then I use symbols uh, next to those things. So whenever I'm coming across something like grace or the Holy Spirit or justification or baptism, right, or even like little music, you see like a little music note here, uh, I would actually put that on the side of the scripture. Okay. Uh, there's more. You guys want me to continue? I have more in my Bible. <laughs> I'm letting you into my world. Okay. Uh, I have Bible references by topics here. These are just specific. Uh, whenever someone wants to debate me on something, uh, I'm, I'm, always at, I'm always at the ready. These are Bible reference topics. Uh, then I have this at the back. This is like a field book. This is basically like a small little like notepad that I kind of like keep there and, you know, I, I write, you know, whatever notes there and stuff like that. So I have that there. And then lastly, this, this little page back here, this is just like a, let me see if you guys can see it. This little page back here is like a, a one year, this is like a one year chart. So this is different. This is, I mean, I don't always do this, but if I'm reading something extra, I would mark it off. These are just all the books of the Bible right here. This is just a regular one-year Bible chart. So that is what I do. <laughs> if somebody says, what is this? What is this magical Bible? <laughs> all right, but there's one more thing that I do. Then as a devotional, at the end of all of that, at the end of all of that, uh, then I have this book here. Uh, it's one of... Uh, you know, I've, I, I love Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a Baptist uh, theologian, and uh, they, he was called the Prince of Preachers, even though he probably wouldn't even like that title. Uh, but he wrote so much uh, sermons, and this is just what's, it's morning and evening. So what this is, this is just like a devotional style kind of a reading, but what it does is it, I do it in the morning and then in the evening time. So 
And then, <laughs> and then I'm going through the book of Hebrews, <laughs> but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother lecture. So now you're probably saying to yourself, I feel so overwhelmed by studying the, the word, <laughs> but let me tell you something. This is what it takes. If you truly love God's word and you are hungry for it, you're going to develop an appetite. Some of us, we've lost our appetite for God's word. Oof, I know that hit hard for somebody. Some of us, we've lost our appetite for God's word. Our Bibles have been sitting in our shelves. But the very word of God, the very life, the lifeblood is right here. The words, the answers to your prayer is right here. And all it just takes is just examining some of the scriptures, just studying it and growing in God's grace. But studying also involves comparing translations as well. It, it talks about word studies using theological dictionaries and stuff like that. Okay. That's what I want. That, that was the practical side. Um, also memorize the word. That's number four, memorize the word. Okay. When you commit God's word to memory, what that does is that it lives in you. When you commit God's word to memory, it lives in you. And now you live in it. And God's promises becomes your possession. God's promises become your possession. Right? Psalms 119.11. When, when we read that, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's memorizing. Remember when I was younger, I, I read the King James Bible. That was one of my first, first Bibles. And now there are certain scriptures that I could only read in King James English. <laughs> That's it. I, I can't read it in nothing else but King James. It sounds weird to me if I read it uh, in, in another different translation. Um, but what memorizing the word does is that it also helps you to prepare to give an answer to someone for the reason and for the hope that is inside of you. Because you know the scriptures, you know Psalms 23, right? You know Proverbs 3, 5, 6, right? You know John 3, 16, right? You know these scriptures because they live and they, they're inside of you because there was a point of time that you just experienced that scripture and it came to life. And you memorized it. So take time, memorize the scripture, write it on cards. Uh, there's an app that has like a, a index card app. You could just flip it. I do that with, with my Greek words, where I just go through Greek words and I just flip so I can understand the Greek words. Do that with scripture. Okay. And then the last one, number five, is meditate on God's word. Meditate on God's word. Psalm, Psalms 1-2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's why, <laughs> hence this book, day and night. Now, I'm not saying you got to take that scripture literally, but I am. You should be meditating on it all day. <laughs> it's not just specific times. But what that does is when you meditate, it's, it is focusing on a particular verse 
to fully understand all that it says. When you meditate on a particular verse, what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand the context of which it was written so that it could be life-changing for you, right? Let me give you some practical ways to do this. And not everybody really talks about this. So you might want to listen up for this because these are some practical ways to meditate on God's word. Okay. How about we do this? Write the verse in your own words. Write the verse in your own words. Let's say you read a portion of scripture and you don't quite understand it. Write it in your own words. Another, another way that we can, uh, practical way is personalize the verse put your name in that verse personalize it make it real to you okay another way that we can another practical way also is repeat that verse back to god you ever did that <laughs> you ever talk to god and you're just like you're just going through it and you're like, Lord, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, I know you wrote that. I know it's there. I'm walking through some shadows right now, Lord. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm gonna fear no evil. Come on now. And you just, you just, you just give God back His psalm. God, take your psalm back, you know, because His word is not gonna return void. So. Repeat it back to God. Don't be so sacrilegious about it. God knows his word. <laughs> he wrote it. Repeat it back to him. You're reminding God of the promises, but you're taking possession of it, right? Uh, another way is to, a practical way is to refer to other passages that actually emphasize the same truth of that verse. So a good way to probably do that is to uh, look at your concordance in the back and then you could look up anger. I don't know, maybe I'm just saying that word out. Maybe somebody's going through some anger problems right now, but you look at anger and then look at all the verses that go with that, that emphasizes the truth of that verse. Um, or what also you could do is, how about this? Write out how that verse can help somebody else. You ever did that? Probably not. But I want to challenge each and every one of you here. Write out a verse that will help someone else. Okay, let's go to the last one. Then we're going to go for some Q&A because I know there's probably going to be a lot of questions on this one. But um, this is the habit of maintaining supportive relationships. The habit of maintaining supportive relationships. Uh, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay. So a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So let's look at Jesus, right? Because Jesus had three there were Peter. James and John, right? And Jesus took them to the transfiguration to reveal to them the true nature of who he was. We see that in Matthew 17. These same three men were present with Jesus, right? When they raised the 
the dead of the daughter of the synagogue leader. We see that in Mark chapter 5. Then again, these three men were there with Jesus at the, at the night of his betrayal. And they were asked by Jesus to do this, to follow him deeper in the garden. Matthew 26. I want to stop there because when, when I read that deeper, they, you know, when Jesus asked them, follow me deeper in the garden. Something about that and about the relationships that we have built. We have not allowed people to go deeper with us in the garden. We have not allowed for people to see the true you. Let me put it that way. Some of us, we are masquerading and we're masking ourselves. We're covering up our follies. We're covering up our sins. We don't want people to see our vulnerability. Let me tell you something. When you've carried your cross there, and you've truly carried your cross, you feel the weight and the burden of that cross. There is nothing left to hide. I'm, I'm already to the point. I'm just a broken down man. I'm just, I just, there's nothing left in this man. I just like, I just don't even care anymore. I'm like, you know what? I've already been through enough crap in my life. <laughs> I've already been through enough of my life to say, I'm not going to fake it until I make it anymore. But I want to go deeper in the garden with my God. I want to go deeper into the trenches of my God. I want to be able to carry my cross because though a righteous person falls seven times, still they get up. That's what the Bible says. But we got to be willing to go deeper into the garden and we got to allow other people to come deeper with us. We got to, you know, and that's where our support system is. But some of us, we're so full of pride, and I'm talking about leaders and pastors, first and foremost. We're so full of pride. We're so full of junk in ourselves that we don't allow other people to support us and to lift us up. Moses needed the support, but he was too prideful to ask for it when he was in the battle. And Aaron and Ur had to come alongside them when they saw, they saw that every time Moses lifted up his hands, that Israel would actually win the victory. But Moses was so full of pride that he couldn't even ask for help. But Aaron and Ur had to see it and to say, no, you know what? When Moses lifts up his hands, we win the victory. I'm going to support my leader. I'm going to support Moses, because I know that he needs himself. A lot of us are like Moses. We don't allow people to go deeper with us in the garden. Is this, is this, is this hitting home for somebody here? Come on now. So, but what ended up happening to the disciples? They still fell asleep. <laughs> even, even after all that, even after all that, they still fell asleep. So here's the reality, everybody. Guess what? Leadership is lonely. Leadership is lonely. Leadership is soul draining at times. But what leaders need is safe relationships and unguarded conversations to face the world. I have a select few of people that I could pour out my struggles with. I can't do that with everybody because not everybody's going to understand what I go through. 
but I have a select few of people that have been with me that I unguard myself and I allow them to pour into me and now I allow them to rebuke me. I allow them to correct me. And we need people like that. So what we need is what's called uh, trusted truth tellers. We need trusted truth tellers. These are people that are not necessarily direct, directly um, uh, with us in leadership, right? But they can point out our blind spots. So maybe you know some people right now like that. So either you know who they are right now, or maybe some of you have them in mind, or what you've done is you've undervalued the ones that you already have in your circle. And you say, no, I'm not going to allow that person to be a truth teller. I'm not, that person's too much full of sin. Do, do you know what that girl did last week in the club? And you want her to be my truth teller? Oh, I know I'm digging deep into some roots. But sometimes those are the best ones because they know you better than your mama. <laughs> they know you so well. You need truth tellers in your life. So stop undervaluing the ones that you have already that you probably don't even know exist. So we talk about self-serving leaders, right? We talked about self-serving leaders. And what a self-serving leader does is that they silence valuable feedback by killing the messenger. But feedback is a gift. And truth tellers, what they're, do, what they're willing to do is they're willing to be honest if they know that you are willing to listen. But again, what happens is that our egos gets in the way of our vulnerability. Our egos get in the way of our vulnerability. And people will actually, what they will do is people are going to admire your skills, but they will love you more because of your vulnerability. Remember, I said that in one lecture. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, and I'm just going to read it. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together. There you go. Not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in conclusion, and then we'll go into some Q Q and A. Let me just go back to First uh, Peter chapter one, verse eight to nine again. In the beginning, it says, "Though you have not seen him," I want you to put memorize that phrase real quickly. You have not seen him. You have not seen him. It says, "Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him." You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Though you not seen him, being, they say that seeing is believing, right? You ever heard that phrase before? 
right? Seeing is believing. But not when it comes to knowing the glory of the one with whom we live and we move and we have our being. Acts 17, 28. And then I'm, we're going to conclude with this. Acts 17, 28 says that very phrase. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. Say that aloud with me. We live, we move, and we have our being. Say that, say that again. We live, we move, and we have our being. What is being quoted here? And I want you to, at this moment, I want you to put all your, your pens aside. I want this to be a reflective time right now to examine our heart and our posture right now. That's what we're going to do. We're going to practice what we've been learning so far. In him, we live, we move, we have our being. What's being said there in Acts 17, 28? This was a Greek quote here from a poet that Paul was using with his audience in Athens. Why? Because they were idolizing these Greek gods. They were idolizing them. They were getting to a point where they just focused so uh, intently on serving these Greek gods instead of the one true God. They couldn't understand that it is God, Jesus incarnate, who was the giver of life. They wanted to be something, but that something that they were becoming was idolatrous. So here's my reflective question to you. In the being, in the living, in the moving, in the having our being, are we chasing our idols into the depths of our false dreams? Are we chasing our idols into the depths of the false vision? Because we're, we're practicing trying to be something that we are not. And we're chasing these idols because we want to be something so bad. But our habits are broken. Our mornings are not being heard. Why? Because we've been idolatrous in our hearts. We're trying to hear the word with earmuffs on. We're trying to practice prayer with selfish, self-serving motives. We're trying to abide in the love of God, but we don't even understand it because we've put conditions on that love. And we haven't made it unconditional. To live, to move, and to have our being. The habit of being is the recognition that I cannot do anything apart from my God. And what Paul is trying to tell his audience here in Athens, he's trying, he's using, right, their poets on them, but he's flipping it. And he's saying the gods 
that you are trying to become like and you are trying to um, uh, be worshiping them as idols, those are not the gods that are going to save you. But the God that I know, the God that I met on the Damascus Road, the God that's freed me, that cured my cancer, the God that has taken me from death, hell, and the grave, the God who I'm more than welcome to enjoy the shipwrecks and the beatings and the scourgings and the gouging out of eyes and the martyrdom, that's the God that I'm willing to die for because that is the true and the living God. And I'm going to practice my habits according to his will. We need to stop practicing habits of idolatry. It's time that we stop practicing habits of idolatry. How do we do that? We do that in many ways. We do that by offering prayers of, of self rather than others. I, I, I've showed you my, my, my prayer outline. It's more focused on other people than myself. I showed you my, my word life. Why? Because I want to memorize this thing as much as I can because there is no other way. And churches are passionless because they've made this a second bestseller when it's the number one bestseller. Churches are dying and closing their doors by the thousands each year because they not understood the being habits. And we have an opportunity right now to change all that. We have an opportunity right now in this lecture to say, and maybe some of you right now, you, you're, you're struggling to love yourself because you don't understand that there's a God that can love you with all your mess. But he loves you, daughter. He loves you. Some of you probably don't even think that you're beautiful enough. But beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and the beholder is God Almighty. And he made you beautiful. And maybe men, maybe, maybe some of you men are watching right now. You say, I failed in some of my leadership uh, journeys. I failed in my family. My, my kids don't honor me or look up to me. There's still time. But you know what it takes? Submission of the heart. You know what it takes? It's a will to say, if this is the cup of suffering, then I'm going to take it. I'm going to go deeper into the garden with God. I want that to be the prayer tonight. Lord, take me deeper into the garden with my God. I just don't want to go one quarter of the way. I just don't want to go halfway. I just want to, I don't want to meet Jesus. I want to go deeper into the garden with my God. And what does that look like? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like for you. But for me, you know what it means to be to go deeper? And it may not be uh, roses and, 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 and all this, but to me, to go deeper is to mortify and kill my flesh every single day. That's what it means to go deeper. Is to make 
my passion into take my passion out and fill it with with his passion in me that's what it means to go deeper what it means to go deeper for me is to be totally submitted under the will of god to go deeper with god is to forsake the things that i want more than anything and say god whatever it is that you have for me i'm willing to take it to the grave i'm willing to die for this because let me tell you something those greeks they were willing to die for zeus they were willing to die for an idol they were willing to die for a statue but we have a resurrected god we have a king above all kings a name that is above every name and not even today thousands and thousands of years later nobody can discredit god it's impossible. Some of the brightest minds in our centuries and in this world have tried so hard to disprove the reality of who God is, and it is inconsequential. It is impossible. Matter of fact, I have somebody this Sunday coming. It uh, should be interesting. They're coming to, uh, to church, and uh, I don't know if they want to debate me or not, but uh, they're like a big brain person, the scientists, and they want to understand uh, scientifically who God is. And I say, let's, let's talk about it. We got to be willing to talk about it. We got to be willing to say, okay, I need to work on my habits. Let's pray. God, we want to go deeper. This is the reason for the hope that is inside of us we want to go deeper into your will we just don't want to stop halfway god i thank you for each and every one that is here today help us to understand these habits help us to abide in your love unconditional unequivocal it's a love that knows no bounds it's a love, O oh God, that transcends our understanding. It's a father's love. Some of, some of you need to hear that today. Maybe you haven't heard that your father loves you. Maybe you haven't heard from your natural father that he loves you. But I want to say and speak that into your life right now. You are loved by your father. And God, thank you that nothing can separate us from this love. Nothing can separate us from this love that you are willing to die for us. So in that, God, help us to practice these habits. Help us to make it a sacred rhythm into our very core, into our very lives, to practice the reading of Scripture, to pray earnestly, O oh God, to memorize it, to study it, to have supportive relationships around us, oh God, that are willing to tug at our hearts, uh, that are willing to give us the feedback that we need. Give us the Peter, James, and Johns of our lives. God, I just pray that we can live and move and have our being in you and that our character reflects it, the sum of our being, that everyone who sees us, everyone who comes in contact with us, they understand this God that we serve because they see it in our character, 
they see it in our very lives. So God, I thank you for this time. Help us to be more like you. Help us to imitate Jesus, the Imago Dei, the image of Almighty God. Help us so that others can know who you are, find the freedom, hope that they need. In Jesus' name, amen.